House come to order if members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good. Welcome to a brand new installment of Capital Ideas. For the last 15 years, we've been launching unique and I hope interesting episodes of this podcast into the ether. It's a project where members of the Majority House Democratic Caucus in the Washington State House of Representatives sit down at the Capitol and talk about ideas. Often this introduction includes a promise that a given episode is going to be special, and they are. I'll say it again today, but this time let's put a capital S on special because what we have today is a long interview with Speaker of the House Lori Jenkins. In the next half hour or so, the Speaker offers an overview of the just-concluded 2023 legislative session, goes deep on some important new laws, talks about how she goes about the job she's held since 2020, and gives a glimpse into who the person is that her colleagues in the House have chosen to be their leader. We'll go right to that conversation in just a minute, but first a note. The upcoming special session of the legislature hadn't yet been announced when we sat down to record today's Capital Ideas. Speaker Jenkins talked about the necessity of a special session to wrap up work on a key issue, but the date was uncertain. We now know it's May 16th, and towards the end of today's show, she'll talk about what's at stake during that special session, the first one in several years. We talked a few days after the April 23rd finale of the regular session, and here's how it went. I'm sitting here with Speaker of the House, Laurie Jenkins. She's Representative Laurie Jenkins from the 27th District, but for the whole state of Washington, she's the Speaker of the Washington State House of Representatives. How are you, Laurie? I'm doing well, Dan. I'm doing well. We're going to talk about a lot of things today. I'm sure that we will forget a lot of things, too, because there's so much to cover. The 2023 legislative session just adjourned Sunday night. So it's been a few days for you to decompress, but I'm going to want to ask you questions about pretty much the whole session and some things that might be still on the table. Let me begin by asking, when January rolled around and you picked up the gavel for the first time in 2023, what were the priorities that you were envisioning? And by you, I mean for your caucus as the caucus leader of the of the House Democratic Caucus, but also you as an individual. Yeah. You know, we spent a, a fair amount of time as a caucus. Uh, it, last year was an election year, so people were working really up until November on election issues. But as soon as election issues were over, there were some things that just became really clear. Housing. Housing was going to be a huge issue for the caucus Also, women's reproductive health and everyone's bodily autonomy was going to be a really big deal and making sure that we protected that. And then kind of also making sure that we moved forward on our commitments on climate, which have historically been very important to the caucus. And we had some big opportunities this year, which I think we met. The additional focus I think I had, which wasn't as evident maybe to the whole caucus initially had to do with workforce. And I could tell from talking to lots of different people, there is no place that we weren't suffering shortages. 
and that that was having huge impacts on people in the state of Washington. And I think that became really elevated through the course of the session as being a big issue. And the other piece that we've been working on a lot as a caucus is infusing equity work, especially racial equity throughout everything that we do, instead of putting that all in a box and saying, this is how you achieve equity in a separate area. We really have a belief that you have to infuse it in every in everything you do. This year, there's, I would think, an even increased focus on equity. There are a couple of new staffers whose job, among other things, is to sort of keep an eye on equity considerations and not only the legislation that comes out, but the way the caucus operates. I'm guessing that this was an initiative that you kind of came up with. Well, bringing the first woman and being the first lesbian speaker of the house, uh, I have my own experiences of being othered and what that's like. And my own experiences and my community's experiences of feeling like our voices are unheard and not incorporated into decision-making at times. And so that, that was an overlap that I felt very strongly with our members of color and with communities of color throughout the state and BIPOC communities. So when I became speaker, that was a high priority for me to bring more inclusion of voices into how we were solving the state's problems because I think what we had historically done is presumed that white voices around the table encompassed everybody's problems and everyone's solutions. And it just became clear that that wasn't the case. And what what became even more clear is when we started to to use equity more thoughtfully in our decision-making, the things that I learned were that, you know, one, it can take more time because there actually is a lot more difference of experience uh, throughout the people of this state than you might imagine but that if we take the time to include really diverse voices at the table, the decisions we make for the people of the state are always better because they're always more inclusive. And so that has just become, and I, you know, I did not have to push the caucus at all on that. We have a a caucus that's very interested in equity and inclusion of all voices. It also happens that after the last election, you know, 46, 47% of my caucus are members of color. And bringing those diverse voices into lawmaking was just extraordinarily positive and creative. And I think is helping the people of this state every single day in every corner of the state. I've worked around here for a quarter of a century. And by far, this is the most diverse caucus that we've ever had. Yeah, well, I mean, in addition to the members of color that we have, we're, we're over 50% female. Our LGBTQ representation isn't as high as it's ever been. But we, again, we still have really great representation of the LGBTQ community. But also when you start to think about things like religious diversity, faith diversity, all kinds of other areas of diversity. We have some of our members are from quite rural districts, others from the urban core in Seattle, suburban and everything in between. So we're able to really represent a lot of different viewpoints when we discuss issues. Do you feel satisfied that that has been reflected in a lot of the legislation that was passed this year? Yeah, I do, both in legislation and also particularly in, you know, the only thing that we are constitutionally required to to do when we come in an odd year is to pass a budget. 
and we did that. We passed three of them, a transportation budget, a capital budget, and an operating budget. I think that those three documents have been actually the most inclusive and diverse, taking diverse viewpoints into account because all of our budget teams really had this approach where they didn't set aside money to do diversity work, but they actually incorporated it into everything we did. So when we look at housing, the work that was done in housing was really to uh, make sure that we were thinking about folks who are low income, very low income, uh, building housing in the right spots for them in the right ways. But also we have a lot of nonprofit communities, especially in communities of color, where a, a lot of nonprofits are maybe are smaller and and haven't ever applied for state grants to do particular work. We actually put some funding in the budget to make sure some of these smaller nonprofits who are doing great work in our communities actually have some help to apply for grants, whether that's in the operating budget or the capital budget. That's just one example of where we're doing it, but we really looked at doing that in all of our budgets. As I said, we're four days into the interim now with the adjournment having happened on Sunday night. Prior to that, there was 105 days of the 2023 legislative session. I know you can't give me a day-by-day, blow-by-blow account of how that session went, but as far as what kind of an arc did you see moving through the last 105 days? You've, you've been here for, I guess, a dozen years at least. You can sort of compare it to previous sessions and, and give me your take on how this one looked yeah. and felt. Yeah, well, you know, it's, um, I'm in a really different role. So, you know, before I became speaker, I was not at the leadership table at all. So I had a different, I probably would have given you a different arc, right? I was a committee chair, so I would have been more focused on what was happening in my committee and less like at the whole ball of wax. And then just to be frank, I've been in this role for four years, two of which have been remote sessions because of a pandemic. So I I wouldn't say that I am yet in a position of having a, a standard experience <laughs> as speaker. Um, it was really great to be back. So I think that was one of the biggest things to start off the session with everybody back, um, all members back, but also like taking the things that we learned from COVID and incorporating the positive things. For example, we had remote testimony and we kept that as a part of get, of having more members of the public involved in our committee hearings. And that worked really, really well for members. And we got to hear from a lot more people. I was really happy to find out, for example, that uh, while we don't agree on everything when it comes to housing, in the House we had a lot of bipartisanship in our housing issues. And uh, we had members working together across the aisle on, as I said, housing, on workforce issues. Both of those were bicameral also. And so that start, we started off, I think, on a really positive note with a lot of bipartisan work and a lot of work that had been done during the interim. You know, and we ended the session passing a Bateman bill, a Rep. Bateman on uh, missing middle housing, which I think is going to really help densify housing and create more housing. We need a million more housing units in Washington state in the next 20 years. While we're doing great things, we are not moving at a pace yet where we're going to produce a million more housing units. But Jessica's bill, Mia Gregerson's bill on accessory dwelling units, which are like mother-in-law apartments in somebody's like yard space and things like that, 
those bills were bipartisan in nature and will really help us. And then we, I mentioned our operating budget and our capital budget. Between those two budgets, we invested over a billion dollars in housing this year. It's a landmark. So we are, you know, moving forward there. There are always disappointments along the way. And, you know, there are things that we just did not have bipartisanship on. Woman's right to choose. And Vandana Slatter did a great job leading on some health data privacy issues because we knew and we had evidence that women were being kind of tracked through their phones and some of the applications that they were using on their phones. And that states who are like, like Idaho, who are saying they're actually going to track down women who come to Washington State for abortion care services and reproductive services, we wanted to make sure their phones couldn't track them. Well, we didn't get Republican support on that, right? We didn't get Republican support on Drew Hansen's bill to make sure that states like Texas and Idaho can't use their legal system against people who come to Washington or are in Washington, nor Marcus Riccelli's bill to protect health care providers who are providing services. So those are a place where we really were focused on what are our democratic values We also had a couple of other, I think, big areas in terms of protecting our transgender children and making sure that they don't end up homeless when they are kicked out of their home and they have to go to some sort of shelter, making sure that they can actually find a place to stay while they're hopefully trying to reconcile with their family. But we wanted to make sure we were protecting trans kids. And finally, the governor just signed the assault weapons ban and a couple of other great bills related to firearms that, you know, will take us along the route of continuing to decrease firearm deaths in Washington state and making people more safe. So those were areas that were not bipartisan. They were squarely in our values and we were going to move forward on those and do everything that we could to do that. Your beginning question was what was the, what was the arc of the session? It went very fast. It was very intense, but we were able to accomplish a lot through bipartisanship and a lot that were Democratic values, even if our Republican colleagues were not going to support them. I will point out, though, that I have seen the statistic very recently that about 80% of the bills that passed were were hugely bipartisan. Something like 60 to 70% were essentially unanimous if maybe there was one vote against it. And that leaves 15, 20% where there was quite a bit of disagreement. But If everybody agreed, then most people wouldn't be necessary. Yeah, and it's interesting because people think about the national politics and how divided that is. I can't speak for other states, but that's not the way here. We actually do seek to have bipartisanship in the work that we do. We seek to pass both Republican and Democratically prime-sponsored bills. And a lot of that work happens in committee where members hear testimony, they hear each other's perspectives, and they try and find the places of common ground that have the biggest impact for the people in this state, and then they amend bills that will um, hopefully help bipartisanship. That is something that we always seek. I guess I've always, as in the dozen years I've been in the legislature, we always seek that, but we work very hard to make sure that we never cross the lines of our values as a Democratic caucus when we're doing that. And I've been really happy that we have continued to be able to be bipartisan, but also make sure that our values shine through. You mentioned committee just now, and it just kind of popped into my head. How did being a committee chair prepare you for being speaker? 
I guess it really affected the way that I play the role of speaker in the sense that I am highly deferential to committee chairs and to their work. I consider them a part of the leadership team. So when they believe that they should move a bill forward, I don't take those bills off of their agenda. If I'm concerned about what it is they might be doing, I have a conversation with them and we try and work it out. But I guess I I was able to see a lot of uh, people working out issues amongst themselves and also applying a political screen, which is appropriate to do. And I saw people do it at a very, you know, at a committee level. So I had trust in that. And I don't, I don't think that I'm the only one who's able to do that well or successfully. It was important to me when I ran for speaker, I was pretty clear that I was not the smartest person in the room. And there were a lot of really, really smart people who were working really hard on a lot of policy issues. My job would really be to try to help manage those and help people move those across the House floor and through the Senate. And there would be times when we just weren't prepared to move them in both places and we would need to do more work. So part of my job was to deliver those messages and then to help people figure out what do we do for the next session and things like that. And those are all skills that I learned being a committee chair. So I think it was good in preparing me for that. I still am very drawn. I was chair of the Civil Rights and Judiciary Committee, and I have worked in healthcare in my career, uh, public health, and and was on the healthcare committee. So I still am particularly drawn to those issues, right? I had, I heard all of the gun violence bills when I was a committee chair. So I'm very knowledgeable in that area and have a lot of opinions and, and, um, and a lot of commitment to that work. Also, we already talked about choice issues, very committed there. So those are always things that I'll be, that will be really important to me. And partly it's the history of the committees that I sat on that helped me. I may be off by one, but I believe this is the fifth time that you and I have talked on Capital Ideas. And as an aside, I would recommend that anybody who is interested should go back through the long queue that is available at housedemocrats.wa.gov. If you hit the media button, you will see a link to every podcast we've done since 2009. The last time we talked was your first year as speaker. And now that you're wrapping up your fourth year as speaker, I can't ask, what have you learned? Because we'd be here all day. (laughs) But give me a couple of things that have popped up in the last few years that you kind of go, oh, so this is part of the job too. Well, you know, a lot of the job is, is really just managing time. We always have more good bills that we can move off the floor before a cutoff. Things start off early on where like, we've got plenty of time. Yep, we'll move this, we'll move that. And then it just gets narrower and narrower. And so over my time in the job, we really do start asking chairs to prioritize and to let me know what their priorities are as we're deciding what goes off the floor. One of the other interesting things that I didn't think about so much was the time when the minority, when the Republican minority has the most power is when we get to the end of any cutoff because time becomes our biggest enemy. So managing that and thinking about when you run a bill and why you run it for example, if it's going to take a, a lot of time, that's why we tend to do bills that we think there will be a lot of debate on. We start them in the evening so that they have a whole number of hours that you can use to have the debate versus if you you know start them earlier in the day, especially when we have committee hearings go on, 
we have to cut off the floor debate to go to committee hearings. It can be very disruptive. So a lot of these things are like are operational in nature that I've learned. I want to talk about your day job for a couple of minutes. I don't know what people think. I know what I would think, which is that if the person is Speaker of the House of the Washington State House of Representatives, that's a 365-day-a-year job. Or just being a state legislator would be something that a person does year-round. And the fact is, this is what's called a citizen legislature. It's got limited legislative sessions based, I believe, on farming seasons from back in the 19th century. You've got a job, a pretty important job here in Tacoma. At the Tacoma Pierce County Health Department. And they graciously give you a leave of absence during the legislative session, maybe a little before and a little after, so that you can prep and decompress. But uh, how do you balance these two fairly different jobs? Mix, mixed and variable, <laughs> I would say. Um, yeah, so we got done with session on Sunday, and on Wednesday I was back at my job at the health department. And, you know, part of that is I love my job at the health department, and I love the people that I work with, and it's a very grounding experience to go back and do work in a pretty community-based setting in which uh, we are working with people in our community every day, all day long to solve public health problems. And that it's not theoretical at all. Some, you know, some of the work we do in the legislature is our legislation can be more theoretical. We have an idea about how it's going to affect people and help them. But when I go back to work at the health department, I'm actually seeing how our legislation is actually working to help people or not and how our funding decisions do that. I'm really kind of torn about the issue of, you know, should we have a full-time legislature? Should we have a part-time legislature? Because in some ways it would be better for me if my family didn't need both incomes, right? I don't get paid full-time to be Speaker of the House. It pays as a part-time job. It's a really good salary for a part-time job. I'm not, you know, complaining about that. But it's just not as much as I would earn if I were full-time somewhere. So I have to put those two together to earn a full-time income. Well, you know what? A lot of my constituents have to do the same thing. They have to have more than one job. And so I kind of feel like my having these two jobs puts me in the same place that a lot of my constituents are in. And that helps me understand some of the struggles that people face. But it also keeps me, I think, really connected and really connected to coworkers that I love and respect deeply. I don't know if you're going to even want to answer this or not, because it's kind of a shallow question, but I'm kind of a shallow person. <laughs> um, putting politics aside, you know, political victories and political defeats, what's the most fun about being speaker, or maybe what's the best time you've had as being speaker that didn't involve winning a battle? Yeah, you know, a lot of the times where I really have fun are behind the scenes, in the evening after we, maybe late in the evening after we've finished a long day, and the minority leader, J.T. Wilcox, and deputy minority leader, they both, uh, Joel Kretz, both stepped down um, uh, on the last day of session, so new leadership for the Republicans have been uh, elected. But, you know, sometimes I would go over and sit down with Joel while he'd be having a drink and there'd be other people in the, in his office, Democrats and Republicans, or I'd go upstairs to rep Stonier's office and there would be people watching old episodes of Veep and we would sit around and, you know, talk a little bit about the day and what had happened and, um, and laugh over episodes of Veep. 
some of those bonding experiences with people and just learning who they are and understanding who they are actually helps in relationships to move legislation along and to understand why somebody might be so opposed to a particular idea or feel so strongly about another one uh, in, in a positive way. I love a lot of that, and I always have, even before I was speaker. I get to have fewer of those times, actually, now that I'm speaker, because I'm, I'm in my office pretty late at night doing lots of other things uh, on my own. But I, I really love spending time with members, hearing about what their experiences are, hearing about what their, their lives are like. And because we're in Olympia in a long session for 105 days, everybody has left their home and is living in Olympia And that creates a lot of struggles for people. So being somebody who they can come to and talk to about challenges that are going on at home is something that's very important to me. And I'm one of the very few lucky members who can drive home every single night and see my wife and spend the night here at home and get up in the morning and drive back down. So that's a lot. I love kind of some of those um, moments. There There are really fun moments to presiding when we pass a bill that we're all very happy about, even when we pass bills that one side is really happy about and the other side isn't, we have very rich debate. And I feel very proud of the House of Representatives when we are debating something, some topic area very intensely, but we're not taking cheap shots. We're really debating the issues. And I feel like we're exercising leadership on behalf, everybody there is exercising leadership on behalf of every single person in the state of Washington, people who oppose the bill and people who are in favor of it, and that we are modeling the kind of civic dialogue that people should be having about issues. Somehow this puts me in mind of the fact that you're an individual state representative as well as the Speaker of the House. You've got 150,000 or so constituents that that said, you know, we want Laurie to to be one of our two representatives and get some stuff done for us here in the 27th district. Well, you know, the, I just want to say a couple things about this, you know, because it is interesting. I came to do this job because I just really love Tacoma. And I served on a bunch of nonprofit boards and was just very involved in being everywhere in the community before I was elected. And sometimes in this speaker role, when I go out in the community, I think, oh, everybody's going to tell me I haven't been out very much and they haven't seen me. And it's just, it's so much fun. My neighborhood has a farmer's market that goes way into the the fall months. And I'll, I'll never forget last fall being at the farmer's market. And a gentleman came up to me and was talking about an issue that I found fairly complex. And I said, Let me give you one of my business cards. He said, I don't need a business card. I can see you out walking in our neighborhood any day of the week and talk to you. Plus, you came and doorbelled me 12 years ago at at our house. I mean, he remembered it. He said, you're everywhere. I can talk to you anytime I want. And it made me feel great. Just great. And, And I've had a number of people in the community say that to me, that they feel like I'm completely accessible to them. I don't know if everybody in my district feels that way. But when I'm kind of beating myself up a little bit about how much work I'm doing statewide or visiting members in their districts, it's good to know that there's a lot of people in my districts who still see me being very present here. And I like this year, one of the things I was most proud to work on is the city of Tacoma a couple of years ago got a grant for the uh, on the guaranteed basic income program. 
and the grant was ending this year. And Liz Berry had filed a bill to make the guaranteed basic income program statewide. And we knew we weren't going to have the revenue for that. But I talked to our budget team and I said, if we have a place in Washington state that has successfully implemented a guaranteed basic income program, and we actually have data that shows that it really works for people, why wouldn't we at least keep that program funded, keep the research on that going, so that when we have the opportunity at some point in the future to expand to more sites, we can do that. Budget team agreed with me, and so there will be money flowing to the city of Tacoma to keep the guaranteed basic income program going here. You know, it lets me do work like that. And there's lots of capital budget things that we've been able to do. And, you know, my seatmate, uh, Jake Fye, is a chair of the House Transportation Committee. So a lot of transportation issues have been addressed through his work. And and Yasmin Trudeau, who's our senator, pretty new to that role, but she is one of the primary capital budget negotiators in the Senate. So we're all placed really, really well. And we try and uh, we all are, we meet regularly and make sure we're um, working to do good things for the people of the 27th too. Jumping back into the session, I don't have the precise number, but about 500 bills passed out of both chambers and made their way to the governor's desk. There could have been 510, but I know that there are some things that didn't quite get to that point. So I want to ask you not to end on a bummer note, and I think we are going to have to end pretty soon, but what kind of unfinished business are you looking at? We've got another session coming up in eight months. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's a bummer note, actually, Dan, because I, in fact, the last day of session, I talked with the caucus about things that we hadn't gotten across the finish line that we were going to stay committed to. Um, There are things that take more time, and, and there are things that we've spent years getting them to where they're at, and they were able to pass this year, right? So, you know, I think about things like the independent prosecutions bill to make sure that prosecutions of uh, law enforcement officers who break the community's trust and harm members of the community, it's probably good to not have criminal prosecutions of those folks happen within the community, but but maybe a more independent place. We already have an Office of Independent Investigations for those. So I think that's something that we'll work on. I mentioned earlier that we, Washington State's going to be in need of uh, a million new homes for Washingtonians in the next 20 years, and that we are not at going at a pace, well, even though we've done great housing work this year, we're not going at a pace where we're going to get a million new homes. And over half of those homes are going to need to be for people who are uh, very low income or extraordinarily low income. And so we are going to have to do, I think, something much more aggressive to build those. This year, former Speaker Frank Chop had a great bill to expand the real estate excise tax, which would have actually given tax breaks to most Washingtonians who are selling their homes, but folks who are selling their homes for over about $3.2 million or more would have to pay a little bit more. That, that I think, would be worth it. It would bring in a lot of revenue for us specifically to build new housing for folks who need it. And I think the other thing it does is Washington has the worst, the most unfair tax code in the country. And everything that we can do to kind of switch our upside-down tax code and a progressive REIT is one of those things that helps do that, that is helpful. So I think that's something we have to do that we'll look toward uh, next session. There, there are certainly like other uh, topics that 
that we'll work on around housing and, and workforce will always be an issue. I'm very proud the Climate Commitment Act, this was the first year that we had sales under the Climate Commitment Act and the way that we invested our money was extraordinary and we'll just keep on investing money to bend that climate curve. One of the things that we probably won't wait for the next regularly scheduled session but may need to have a special session on uh, has to do with the issue of drug possession in the state of Washington. A couple of years ago, we had a uh, the Supreme Court in the middle of session uh, came out with a decision that struck down our drug possession laws in Washington state, our criminal laws. And we very quickly put together a bill to address that, but we put a, su- a two-year sunset on it, so it sunsets on July 1st. We work very hard uh, during session to try and find what I think of as a very narrow path between the House and the Senate on a bill that could pass and that would, I think for the House Democratic Caucus, would really start to undo the war on drugs that we've seen as such a huge failure. Everybody pretty much agrees the war on drugs of just putting people in prison hasn't done anything to help uh, over the last 30 years. And there's been a lot of disproportionality in how we've done that. I think we really want to focus on the treatment mechanisms and making sure that we really expand treatment capabilities. But the other question that comes up that is very important is how do you either incentivize, it's unclear whether it's a carrot or a stick, right? But is there a criminal sanction that incentivizes people when the police arrest them for perhaps using drugs in public and being in possession of methamphetamines or something like that? you get a criminal charge and an opportunity to go into treatment. Does that criminal charge actually incentivize people to go into treatment? And I think there's a strong belief amongst you know other um, members in, in other caucuses and in, in the House Democratic Caucus too that it does incentivize people. But what we want to do is make sure that we're doing something that's an incentive, not something that is going to just penalize people for the rest of their lives. So we didn't, on the last day of session, we lost the bill that we uh, had worked on throughout the session. Uh, We weren't able to get it passed off the House floor. And I think it's something that we're going to have to try to work on before July 1st. So I think that's a piece of work that makes this session incomplete, I would say. So some of the stuff that I mentioned, we'll we'll work on those over the interim and for next session. But this is one that we're going to have to work on, I would say, in the next few weeks to make sure that we move forward. With July 1st hanging out there as a kind of a blinking light, I guess that is a lot of incentive. July 1st is a big uh, date. And the other thing is that we start to see if we don't do something statewide, local jurisdictions will start to create criminal laws in this area and will kind of have chaos throughout Washington state because some will, some won't, some will create different penalties. And none of these jurisdictions will have the investments that we were prepared to make in terms of treatment. Um, and so that's why it's so important that we move forward as a state, move forward together on this. Laurie, we have got to wrap up here. I know that you've got other things you need to be doing. I appreciate you giving me this much time on your second day back at your day job, but that's enough talk about jobs. Summer's coming. It's a warm, sunny day. Have you got any backpacking trips planned for this interim? Uh, I do, but I just do want to say one other thing about trips um, uh, before I talk about backpacking. Our son graduates from college in June, and so we'll be celebrating his graduation. I'm very, very proud of him. 
and the work that he's done in two, two years of college during COVID and a degree in acting, theater acting, tough road, tough road, and he's done a great job. But I also do have a pretty, a pretty significant backpacking trip scheduled for this summer. I may have told you before, Dan, that I'm doing sections of the Pacific Crest Trail. And uh, this summer I have one kind of 40-mile section left. It's the Washington's Goat Rocks. And when I finish that, along with my hiking partners, I will have hiked the entire state of Washington's Pacific Crest Trail. So I'm excited to be doing that and a little scared. I've uh, read a lot about goat rocks and a section of it called Knife's Edge, which is exactly you're walking along a knife's edge kind of with very steep drops on either end. So I'm both looking forward to it and a little petrified, but it won't stop me. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. And thanks thanks for talking with me, Dan. It's been my pleasure as always. We've been speaking with Speaker of the House Laurie Jenkins here on Capital Ideas, and this is what we strive to bring you every time, which is some information about your state government where important things happen. Thanks, Laurie. Thanks, Dan. Well, as the name promises, there were a lot of good and important ideas in today's Capital Ideas. I do want to thank Speaker Lori Jenkins once again for clearing this much time in her schedule to sit and talk. Now for some business. Throughout the legislative session, new episodes of Capital Ideas have shown up in your phone, tablet, or computer a couple of times a week. Now that the regular session is concluded, there's a good chance that schedule will slow down somewhat. But never fear, we're nowhere close to running out of good ideas and interesting conversations with your Democratic state representatives. Keep an eye on your podcast apps, and this is a good time to mention that if you haven't subscribed to Capital Ideas, today's conversation gives you a fine reason to do so. You can do that by visiting the House Democratic Caucus website at housedemocrats.wa.gov and hitting the media button up at the top of the page or by going to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast site. You'll never miss another Capital Ideas, which is good. Because what we talk about here is your state government, and what happens here matters. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. As always, thank you for listening. 